So we're back from outer space. Just anyway, do you know, walking one of my shoes is 10 years old this year. Greetings to you, my lovely listener. Welcome to the Walk a Mile of My Shoes podcast. Over the next few weeks, months, years, we're going to try to emulate the loveliness of the coastal walk through a whole bunch of conversations with all kinds of people where we'll be demonstrating that talking about mental ill health is a lot less painful than you think. For those of you who don't know me, I'm your host, Chris Young, and in this episode, I'll be speaking with Dan Warrender, a mental health nursing lecturer from Aberdeen's Robert Gordon University. He's also a mentalisation therapist. Among other things, we'll be talking about what motivated him to choose his career in mental health nursing, the challenging issues surrounding care and control in psychiatric hospitals, and some of his thoughts on the personality disorder label, and also the simple elegance of mentalisation therapy. So, uh, welcome, uh, Dan Warrender, to the Walk a Mile in My Shoes podcast, uh, the first of hopefully many uh, in 2021. Thanks for having me, Chris. Really appreciate it. It's, it's lovely to have you here. So, I've got a new studio. What do you, what do you think of the place? Very nice. Very nice. It's very, very white. Very white. <laughs> that, that, that's, a, bl- a blank canvas, though. I like that. that, that you know what I mean? That, that's me. That's, and, and that sort of describes my face really well. <laughs> so so w- what I'm trying to do with um, the Walk a Mile in My Shoes podcast is uh, sort of to emulate the Walk a Mile in My Shoes thing that, mm-hmm. that I started 10 years ago. You're walking around the edge of the UK, bumping into people and just having conversations about themselves and, and met, if appropriate, mental health. Um, I saw a whole load of stuff that you've put up recently in the Twitter sphere, and you know, it's really interesting and really sort of got my attention. So oh, um, I'm, I'm wondering if, if you uh, described to the, the listener who, who you are uh, and what you do, and, and then if you could go straight into what motivated you what life experiences motivated you to get into this? And then yeah, yeah. I'll grill you mindlessly as we go along. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to that grilling, uh, Chris. Um, so I guess, like, what do I do? Yeah, I think it's always a tough thing, isn't it, when you, you, you're asked to introduce yourself. You know what I mean? I think we, I've got a colleague that I talk about this with. We, we always go for our kind of job title instead yeah, of maybe sort of like yeah. what you're into or how would you define yourself. I mean, I guess in terms of how I would look on paper would be as a a registered mental health nurse and uh, a lecturer in, yeah. in mental health nursing. Um, as well as that, I still do kind of mentalization-based therapy. That's been a big kind of part of my life and, and part of my interests. Um, I'm a PhD student uh, studying crisis intervention experiences right, for right. people diagnosed with borderline personality disorder as well. So that's a kind of common thing that I, I say right, right. Uh, just now as well. Um, I like... When I'm identifying myself, I think I always kind of try and throw in the fact that, like, my, my first degree was in philosophy. And, like, I, I it's a difficult thing to kind of define yourself as a philosopher, because what do philosophers do? They just kind of think about stuff, you know what I mean? So I've got nothing on paper saying that I'm, like, a, a registered philosopher or yeah. anything like that. But, um, there's no, there's no sure guild I, of philosophers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, or if if anyone knows of any, then uh, please tell them I'd like to sign up. But um, like, I'm certainly I'm fascinated with philosophy, and I, I think that's what's kind of, in a way, kind of uh, drawn me into to mental health nursing. Is sure, that sort of whole sure. philosophy of human experience uh, and stuff like that. Um, 
So that's some of me on paper. I mean, your next question was around uh, what kind of sort of drew me yeah, into yeah. mental health nursing and stuff. I mean, so I think certainly for a start, like I, I've all, I'd probably describe myself as, as quite a kind of a deep thinker. Um, like I can, I can remember having a, I say remember because you know what I mean. Often when you remember something, you remember that the last time that you remembered it. You know, Memory has changed over memory. time. Yes. But I do remember being quite young and kind of looking around myself and wondering, like, I wonder if, like, if everyone else around me were just robots with skin on top, how would I know? So, like, I've had like thoughts like that from a young age. So it's kind of made life quite interesting in terms of trying trying to kind of figure myself out and and uh, the the world around me. And I think particularly during kind of adolescence, it's probably the first time that I could say, like, I really sort of felt what it was like to be really kind of hanging just by a thin thread. I think that's the best way I can kind of um, describe ha- hang, it. Hanging by a thread? Yeah, just like, just, just kind of almost on the cusp of kind of falling apart to a degree, right. Chris, you know what I mean? Like really sort of just that, that kind of surge in... Um, Kind of emotions, trying to understand myself, where I fit in amongst other people, kind of difficulties with self-esteem, right, uh, right. And, and then those, those bigger, wider questions about you know, what I mean, why am I alive? You know, what I mean, I think you've been asking that for a long time, um, and and I really empathise particularly with with anyone that had sort of uh, ongoing kind of uh, mental health difficulties, and I guess around that time found that whenever anyone around me was in distress or just wanted someone to talk to it seemed to be something that I could I could do people were attracted and wanted to talk to me in a way and um, I felt I was a kind of reasonable listener and I'm I'm always careful about that because I don't think it's enough that like oh we're just naturally gifted at listening and stuff and I think I think there is a bit of that but I think it's it's worthwhile kind of doing a bit of training and thinking about it and developing our understandings of things but I think I think that's. Uh, I'm rambling now, Chris. But no, no, that's um, that, that's interesting. The the fact that you're you're talking about uh, the training, I I always wondered that you know doing my masters in social work, whether that actually made me a better social worker. Um, it made me kind of wonder, you know, what, what am I in this for the for two bits of paper, or or does yeah. this actually make me a a better X Y or Z? I mean, what what, what yeah. are your thoughts on that? It's really interesting. I mean, because I do think that there's there's definitely a place for training, and I'm like I'm aware of my bias here because like <laughs> you know what I mean. So suddenly my job's going to evaporate. Yes, yes. I'll pull the the rug out from beneath my own feet. I definitely think that like I, I do believe that there's a, a certain you know I mean we, we bring ourselves into whatever we do, um, and I think I think that's important. We acknowledge kind of who we are and, and why we go into kind of particular um, professions. And I do think that theory um, and learning about professions is useful to kind of to kind of give us some edges. I think that's the best way I can describe it. Is that like working with human beings? It's so it's so dynamic, you know. What yeah, I mean, and it's yeah. it's useful to have some kind of understandings and things around them. But I, I mean, it probably kind of relates to what you're saying, Chris, in terms of like, did it make you a better? A social worker and stuff and I'm trying to think does theory make me a better mental health nurse and I think that my journey has probably come like right the way through and I've sort of popped out the other side in a yeah, way yeah, and yeah. I, I think of the way that I 
work with people now and um, my working background was in acute mental health nursing, uh, largely ward-based stuff. And uh, now I work at the university. I can uh, I work individually doing mentalization-based therapy with yeah. people on a one-to-one -one basis. And if I think about my journey from kind of knowing nothing about mental health nursing, going in, doing my training, doing a little bit of extra kind of CPD and stuff like that, I think what's made me a, a better nurse, and I think... I think I'm much better than where I started. You know, I mean, I think I like to think that I'm getting better all the time. I think that what may be better is letting go of a lot of that theory to a degree, and, yes, and I guess yes. not ignoring it, but recognizing that it's it's theory, it's ways of understanding things, but there's no one way of understanding things, and kind of. I would say that I've sort of come so far out the other side that I've like I've got all that in. Head and I think it's useful, but ultimately I would just sort of describe myself as being having a really humanistic approach sure, with, with people, sure. um, and and I think that's that's definitely helped my relationships with with people over the last while. You know, I mean, and the interesting thing is, you know, I mean, you then go back and think, oh man, if I just had this understanding or this frame of mind now, you know, I mean, if I'd had that like ten years ago, how different might might those other relationships have been how, how interesting I, I might have been better for other people in the past one of the reasons i asked that question really was because you, you wrote about uh one of your early experiences meeting a girl on a bridge can can you say yeah. a little bit about that yeah yeah so i mean this is like a kind of blog piece that i wrote about sort of why i came into mental health nursing and and i guess following from that the the, the clash of kind of values that I had in in later life. But um, I remember walking home, I mean, um, like I, I kind of grew up in a small town and stuff and there was like, what else are you going to do at a weekend apart from can I be 14 years old or 15 or 16, 17 and then can I uh, drink in a, a cold park, you know, <laughs> until the, the early hours. But I remember like I used to walk home over this this old, um, this old, uh, this used kind of railway line just turned into a path. Um, and I just saw a girl kind of sitting on the edge of the bridge. Yeah. Um, and you just do that kind of, it was just sort of stumbling home, kind of reasonably merry. And you just like, you're on your way home. And you just do that sort of double take, you know what I mean? Kind of like half kind of with it, like, hang on, you're sitting on the edge of a bridge. Right. There's there's nothing, there's obviously, there's, well, I don't know, you know what I mean? You don't know until you talk to someone, but it doesn't appear as if, you know what I mean? This is... This is right, or it's certainly worth investigation. Maybe that's the the kind of the best way of thinking about it. So, I just kind of went and spoke to her. Um, she was a, a a woman. She was I was saying a young woman. She was older than me at the time, um, who had kind of been recovering from heroin addiction, and somebody had said something to her that had kind of been quite dismissive, stigmatizing, uh, called her a fucking junkie or something like that. And she was so just was that. While you were there, what, you know, at the time, or, or was this something you found out subsequently? Yeah, yeah, just I just at the time, yeah, because I mean, I, I just right, stopped right. And, and spoke to her. And, so um, if somebody calls her a junkie, and then you you think, wow, this is a person worth engaging with. Yeah, I she she was just sitting on the edge of the bridge, so I just kind of like started talking to her because I was like, I'm not comfortable kind of walking away and and leaving her, and sort of had that. I mean, initially, I remember she said she was. She was fine, you know what I mean? She was okay. Um, and I just, like, there's a bit of go with your guts, you know what I mean? It, like, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because I think you, you always want to 
respect people and their wishes and stuff but i just had the feeling that like you know what i don't i don't quite believe that you're okay and i i didn't like i mean let's i was half cut and i was a young man you know i mean, didn't know i i'm not going to pretend i knew what i was doing but i just said to her like i was like i'm not comfortable kind of walking away like were you sitting on a bridge and stuff and if you don't want to talk to me that's okay but i'm just going to stay here with you if that's yeah, all right yeah um and from that point you know what i mean she gradually started talking to me and i i listened and i mean again this is a long time ago so like i it would be i'd be lying if i said exactly i, I knew how that i conversation said she did went, that but, and uh, i was going to apply theory but uh, yeah 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 but I, but I do i remember that i remember the feeling more than anything chris you know what i mean at the end of it you know what i mean she'd kind of she eventually stepped off the the kind of bridge swung her legs around and kind of thanked me and and walked away and just that that thank you and that genuine appreciation is the thing it's definitely one of the things that i carried with me you know what i mean and probably led in some ways to that uh, application to mental health nursing it, it sounds life-changing i mean because that's an experience not many people have yeah yeah i it's, it's funny that isn't it it's, it's amazing how any experience that we have we almost kind of take for granted as our normal and then we, we maybe forget that it yeah, might it might yeah. not be a, a routine experience for for everyone else um but yeah yeah i i mean undoubtedly i mean the fact that i can recall it to a degree uh years later and, and i know that's certainly one of the things that um like i kind of got a taste of that sort of human connection yeah, and and yeah. like you know i mean like i said i'm a kind of a philosopher and i'm constantly wondering like why am i here what's the point of my existence on <laughs> yes. this planet yeah and there was a bit of that moment like i was useful yeah. i was useful in that moment for that person and like if i can do some of that stuff you know i mean i, I think i i find it really difficult to find reasons to live for me sure, you know i mean I, sure. I i need to look outside myself and think like how can i be of use to other people in society and yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it's, it's good that you, you kind of point that out, Chris, because I think I can, I can overlook that uh, in yeah, myself. And yeah. Just, yeah. It's just something that happened, but yeah, it was a big deal. So um, did you see her after that? Did you see her kicking around the place? No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, I mean, uh, she was, I, I remember that she was a few years older than me at the time. And it's funny how a few years like when you get in later life, you know what I mean? A few years separating people, you know what I mean? Doesn't really make a difference. But when you're quite young, you've yeah, got these kind yeah. of distinct groups of people. I'd never seen her before that. Uh, and I don't remember seeing her after, but again, my memory was probably sure. quite hazy <laughs> given that I was kind of a wee bit merry. Yeah, I have one of those memories, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> when she hugged you, how did that yeah. feel? Do you remember? Do you, do you remember thinking that was weird? That was... I. I mean, I just remember, like, I mean, I was going to say warm and like, but I don't mean that physical warmth yeah. and stuff, but just like, just a, a really nice connection. I mean, I would, I'd probably describe myself as somebody who's not kind of standoffish or anything like that, but like a little bit uncomfortable in my own skin to a degree i think particularly with touch and stuff like that right, at times right. you know what i mean so and like i i've i've definitely i've definitely grown and i'm kind of like um again i'm a lot different than, than i used to be but i think certainly at that point in time it was something to do with kind of low self-esteem and stuff and maybe not feeling that people would want to touch yeah, me or be near yeah. me or whatever like that but um i remember just really enjoying that that feeling that sense of worth that kind of 
Yeah, I. It was just. It, it was. It's, it's amazing how it's. It's such a small thing in a way, but it's so. It's so huge, you know. What I mean, we're, we're we're social animals, you know. What I mean, and that that hug we and are, that thank you are. and her walking away was just. I mean, and like still, you know, I mean, I get moments like that, you know, what I mean, I know, like, obviously touches something this, I mean, I've been doing online therapy for the last year, so it's right, not even right. possible, but yeah. um, you can still get human connections uh, without that. But yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, a, it was enormous, Chris, it really was. It sounds cracking, but so, I mean, that, that's why I sort of went on saying, you know, do you think that made you a better, you know, training mm. makes you a better nurse? It sounds like you, you had a core of of who you are and maybe the yeah. the, the, the training, the, the theory perhaps just augmented that, that sort of added to it perhaps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's, there's a danger, I think, for any of us when we're learning any theory or psychological models and stuff that we kind of, we think that, ah, this is the way, you know what I mean? Yes. This is it yes. now, you know what I mean? And, and then maybe we stick quite kind of religiously to it and like, I think, you know what I mean? Like, so person-centered care in nursing, it's like words that are thrown about oh, yeah, all yeah. the time. It's, it's so easy to say, are you person-centered? Yes, of course, I'm yeah, person-centered. Person, I'm centered around you, yes. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, but like there's there's so much about care that's not particularly person-centered. And, you know, I mean, it's because we work in systems and, you know, I mean, we work with kind of diagnoses and sometimes that overlooks people. And I think when we learn theories and models, Sometimes when you see a person, you kind of just apply what you see and then fit it in the model. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, th I think there is that there is that danger, you know. I mean, and, and I'm I'm thinking of particularly when I learned mentalization based therapy uh, for a start. You know, I mean, it's it's one of these. I, I like to think it's it's definitely one of the the looser kind of uh, manualized therapies, but yeah. still there's a there's a degree of structure to it. But if I look at how I practice now, even compared to probably two or three years ago, I think I've kind of let go of some of the the certainty that it maybe kind of gave, gave me an illusion of kind of, right, this is what this is. Yes, yeah. So so I, I use it as like, this is, this is really useful. And like I say, it does help me and it does give me some edges. But at the end of the day, I always try and remember now, right, this is a human and I'm a human. And we're going to try and figure this stuff out together. And these models might be useful, but if they're not, then that's okay. So it's, um, a, it's a tool. And if, it, if, if you feel it doesn't, it's not applying in that situation, you've, you're, you're able to go, well, actually, you know, we, we need to think about this in a, in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I think if we if we rely too much on models, then we, we kind of lose ourselves as well. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. We maybe maybe paint ourselves as the experts or paint the model as the expert. And, and we overlook certainly what like patients, people with kind of uh, mental health problems are going to bring to us in terms of their understandings. And we maybe like lose a bit of our own initiative as well. You know, I mean, there's almost yeah, a bit yeah. of, I, I'm just having thoughts as we, as we talk, Chris, but there's maybe a bit of like thinking that like, maybe you do a training, you think that you're a mental health nurse, you think that you're an expert, but then you move into the model and then you think the model's the expert so that then yeah. you have ideas of your own and then you maybe second guess yourself and you're saying, oh, but this is only my initiative and this is not what the model says. So you kind of almost ignore your own, yeah, like, oh, this yeah. might be helpful or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Now, 
just going back to that blog, which really sort of, uh, I don't know, it kind of floated my boat a lot because you, you went from the girl on the bridge to describing what it was like to use uh, control under the Mental Health Act. Can, can you tell me a bit about that experience? Yeah, so, I mean, it was like... The, the horrible thing about the blog in the way is that like I probably could have written that about like quite a few different instances yeah. you know I mean that was that was one of the ones that stuck in in mind but I can think of many an instance where um we used power which was and I think it's important to say that it's power which is legally justified you know I mean it's not in certainly in legal terms it's not an abuse of power you know what i mean yes. i think that's why yeah. it, it makes it particularly complex but we'd often be kind of called out to escort people uh into into hospital who'd been kind of detained under the mental health act and like i said chris you know what i mean like you kind of have that the, the stuff that brought me into mental health nursing was the kind of desire to connect with people, that empathy of kind of getting to a degree what it's like to feel like you're kind of hanging and, yeah. and really lost and, and wanting to help people with that. And then, like, I know it, it's such a complex area, you know what I mean? Um, does people's mental health issues and distress get to the point that we have to intervene? And I think, like, sometimes you can absolutely argue yeah, that, but yeah. we certainly do a lot of harm along the way. Right. And when I have had to restrain people when they've been kicking and screaming, saying, you know, I mean, please don't inject me with poison and we're still injecting them with kind of sedatives to kind of get them to hospital. And then on the other side of that, we're kind of doing the flip, the flip side of the role, you know what I mean? And that, like, we're trying to talk to them about how they think, how they feel, and we're trying to make connections with them. And, I think one of the biggest issues that we have is that like in those instances when we are empathizing with people we need to empathize with their experience of us yeah yeah you know i mean and like empathy you know i mean you're connecting with a person's perspective and saying yeah that sounds really difficult or that sounds awful that you went through that and you're essentially saying that sounds really difficult that experience that i put you through <laughs> you know what yes. i mean that i that i did and i put you through trauma yeah and and again like i mean it's it's something that i've had i've had a lot of discussions with kind of uh, colleagues and other mental health nurses and i know it's a really great area um and i think that i think in a lot of instances you'll kind of go through that stuff and then maybe on the other side people might actually be grateful they might be like right. you know what i really wasn't well um, I know it like wasn't a nice experience, but I feel better. And I think that happens sometimes. I think the real issue for me is that, and in the, the instance that I wrote about in the blog, this woman was restrained. She was forcibly injected. She was detained under the Mental Health Act. And ultimately there was no real benefit to it yeah. in that she never developed any trust in relationships with any staff she didn't really believe that she was unwell that she didn't kind of i think she went away on a, a low dose of medication and we weren't necessarily convinced that she was going to keep taking it um her focus was it, to get out of hospital for her 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she, I mean, she, like in terms of her engagement with us, and you, you can understand that, you know. I mean, like the first time she saw me properly was standing at our door saying, "You have to come into hospital now." And I think that was another issue that I had. And that, you know, I mean, you're, I think as a mental health nurse, you're almost deployed. You know what I mean? Like, so a psychiatrist maybe done the work, you know what I mean? In terms of like, they've spoken to them, um, they've assessed them, they've made the decision that they're coming in a hospital and then you're deployed and like to take someone in a hospital. And I think that's one of the huge, hugest issues that I have with the mental health nursing role is that I think it's so diverse that I don't think we know what we do. And I think a lot of stuff that I did as a mental health nurse, I would not describe as nursing. No. I wouldn't describe kind of like, you know, what I mean, restraining people, taking people into hospital. I wouldn't describe that as nursing, um, and I think that that that's a constant kind of area of confusion yeah. for me. One one of the things that surprised me uh, a thousand years ago, I worked as a, a nursing assistant, and they were very keen to to offer us training, and the training they offered us was control and restraint. There was yeah. none, none of the sitting down and talking to people shit. It was, yeah. uh, this is how to, to, you know, control people. And, and it was yeah. controlling people, not even when there was a risk of violence from them or a, a danger from them that, that, that it would be deployed, like you say, to fulfill some kind of weird care management program. So if they, if they behaved in a way that wasn't desirable, according to whatever had been written down, then we had it within our our uh, ability to put people into off privileges or into into a timeout room for yeah and it just felt absolutely archaic and and to call that nursing you're right it fe- feels felt utterly utterly alien so- yeah i i think what one of the huge issues with that as well isn't it you know i mean you think about the experience of people that are in that environment where there is such kind of power and control and you think like what would be understandable responses to that that sort of level of threat that level of kind of not feeling safe you know i mean that kind of control of like having privileges removed and stuff like that and then you think about like it's no wonder that people become angry or frustrated with us and push against that and then the 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 catch-22 with people with uh, mental health issues and particularly people that are diagnosed with particular conditions is that, you know, I mean, you'll imagine someone that has their human rights removed and then they become angry at it. And then suddenly it's like, ah, look, see, that's one of the symptoms of yes. your mental health disorder. Yes. Yes. And it's uh, like, like we, we need, like, it kind of makes sense. And, but it's, it's hard, I think, because I think sometimes when you're in it, and, and I think like, I've done a lot of kind of thinking and, and probably kind of changing of attitudes and values to a degree since uh, leaving acute mental health nursing. Um, when you're in it, you can't quite see it. A lot yeah, of the time there's yeah. almost this narrative that I've, I've got this uniform on. I'm a mental health nurse. Of course, I'm the good guy. <laughs> and I like I think there's like, yeah, and, yeah. and again, I, I would never doubt anyone's intentions. Right. Because I think it's difficult to sometimes do the job that you want to do and work with your values within systems. And, you know, I mean, um, whatever you think about new theories and new teaching, they're still kind of old cultures. Yes. Um, but I think we, we overlook that thing. You know, I mean, there's a bit of that kind of reductionism and a bit of that kind of non-mentalizing and thinking, 
in the same way that we discredit people in some ways because they've got a, a kind of mental health diagnosis or whatever or don't believe them we almost believe too much in ourselves because i'm a qualified mental health nurse or i i'm a mentalization based therapist of course i'm the expert i think we over egg our own kind of um our own knowledge and skills and and we're not honest enough about when we fuck it up or when we get it wrong yeah, or yeah. when we when we do harm to people uh, which is not necessarily what we're intending to do and I think on, on the other end of that that blog that I wrote, like I think that would be my real desire is that like words like human rights and ethics become part of nursing language, you know what I mean? Like really, but really part of nursing language, you know what I mean? Like not just stuff that I write about as an academic, but stuff that is really, really talked about. And I know that you could argue that it's it's woven into the Mental Health Act and it's woven in these policies, but there's a disconnect between a document and then interactions between humans uh, on the ground. It's, it doesn't really work like that. It's, it's bizarre, you know, just hearing you describe it, you know, on one hand, you know, there you are controlling someone and then, you know, 10 minutes later, you're, you're saying, so tell me about your family. How are things at home? And they, they, must, <laughs> yeah. they must be sitting there thinking, who's mad here? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? Like, it's 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 tough for them. I think, like, really tough for nurses as well. You know, I mean, for for as much mental health nurses and academics have kind of said that, oh, I need to think about the those moments where, like, it probably is really justifiable and there is benefit. And I do agree with that. There's so many nurses out there that really struggle with that kind of split role. You yeah, know what I mean? In yeah. one sense, you're um, you're that kind of agent of the state of social control in yes, a way, and then. Yes. The other hand, you're kind of, we've got that um, that therapeutic kind of skilled helper human connection. But um, and I, I don't think we've quite got it right in terms of. I know that it's different in different uh, because mental health nursing goes across different environments, and I think particularly the ward nurse is probably the hardest role to define because I think then you're really really stuck in between that. There's the sort of the the hangover from the like the pastoral care you know what i mean how mental health nursing probably originated yeah, yeah. kind of um like through kind of um religion and stuff like that and then that social control but um and then we're also for me stuck in between two professions in that you know what i mean there's a bit of psychiatry or yeah. well a lot of psychiatry yes, yes. and like a bit of psychology you know what i mean and then we're not yeah. quite particularly for a ward nurse, we're not quite sure what's our bit. And, and and I, I certainly don't want to speak for anyone that's doing acute mental health nursing just now, because like, I don't think that's fair, but certainly in my experience, there was a lot of me doing a job where I didn't necessarily feel like I had as much autonomy for, for me spending more time with people than a psychiatrist i had much less power and influence over decisions that were made around that's, the person's that's interesting, care isn't it um yeah and it was yeah and i, I was kind of squashed in the middle there you know what i mean like on, on that subject yeah. of being squashed in the middle i'm imagining you standing outside this woman's door you, you, this this woman's been detained under the mental health act and it's your job to I don't know what a euphemism to escort her to yeah yeah to a, a hospital. The, the the process I'm guessing is you've been given a bit of paper that says she's been detained for X Y and Z reasons. Yeah. And are there points where you know it, it becomes a grey area? We go, 
that's shite. <laughs> that's absolute nonsense. Or do you just, yeah. you know, or do you get into the tied up into the world, the the dangerous world of, you know, I'm just doing my job. Yeah, I I, I think that's honestly it, Chris. You know, what I mean, I would love to say like I'm. I'm reasonably comfortable kind of going back and critiquing my yeah, former self because yeah. I, I think you, you have to. And, you know, I mean, I think I've I've definitely got a lot of ghosts where I kind of I wish I'd maybe had the confidence or guts to just sort of question things either at the moment or at least kind of after. But I think that there is a bit of I think particularly ward nursing, there's always a pressure like these places are almost always short staffed. Yeah. You know what I mean? So literally two staff going away from a ward to collect someone, it's escort someone yes, or yes. or kidnap someone because that's what it felt <laughs> like. Yes, you know bet, what I mean? I then there's there's immediate pressure in terms of try and be as quick as you can. We're really short on the floor. That wow, kind of attitude. And it does make it. So, so kidnap them quickly. Yeah. Here's, <laughs> it, here's a hood to put over the head as you, as you put them in the boot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and wow. it, you know what? It, it does make it difficult because you're kind of you've got that whole like i'm showing up and meeting someone and i've got to put an element of trust in the psychiatrist here yeah i've got to really trust that they've done a thorough assessment that they've tried to engage therapeutically they've really tried to get alongside and that this is really 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 the last resort yeah um and having worked with a lot of psychiatrists i think like some are like i want some psychiatrists are absolutely amazing you know i mean really really good and like, I want to be clear about that because sometimes folks say, oh, you're too critical. Um, but some psychiatrists I've worked with, and I think of the same with mental health nurses, same with any profession, politicians and stuff as yeah. well. Some of them are not that good. Um, so like you are putting a lot of trust in uh, in someone's decision. And I think for me, it was about kind of having to just put that trust in that person. And I'm also thinking about my colleagues on the ward at the same time yeah. and trying to get back quickly and yeah i think i i think that people suffer as as a result of that chris because i i'm thinking of um if i was to go back to that what i would have wanted to do is really really take my time like, yeah, like really yeah. properly take my time like it in the same way that i did with that woman sitting on a bridge saying like you don't have to talk to me but i'm yeah. just going to stop here and just, I don't know, sit down outside our door and say, look, and, and really, really try and make that connection. At the same time, it's it's probably very difficult to make that connection when you've essentially showed up with an ambulance and detention papers already. You've, <laughs> you've almost already set the scene yes, for yes. this is not going to go well. Like, even yeah. if, like, no matter what, it's, I, I definitely don't have the answers, and I, I would never so, claim that. So it would feel dishonest then. You, you know, you, you, yeah. You've got the getaway car engine running in yeah. the background. Yeah. 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 I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm here to talk. Yeah. Sure, you are. Yeah. Yeah. When you you talk about detaining people, is that sometimes done? I don't know if it, if it's not done well. Is it done through fear that there'll be repercussions on the psychiatrist? Do you think? I, I think so, absolutely. I mean, I think, like, I'm thinking particularly um, anyone that has kind of self-harming or kind of suicidal ideation or suicidal behaviour, I think there's a huge fear um, around that. Um, 
and again, the difficulty in a lot of these situations is that, you know, I mean, if you're restraining and stuff, like you're thinking even within the hospital, then you're often showing up to find someone either angry or scared um, and you don't know what's happened before. Yeah. You don't know how those conversations have went. I mean, I, I absolutely think that defensive psychiatry is huge in that I think decisions are sometimes made for fear of kind of litigation or, or like, I think like it's a balance, isn't it? Because I, I like the thing that people are genuinely not wanting people to die or not yeah, wanting people yeah. to come to harm. But I think there's, there's a bit of that kind of self-preservation in a way that can get in the way of, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know positive risk taking is a gray area, isn't there? Cause I know some people say like, there's, there's no positive risks. So it's just a risk or it's not. Um, but I, I don't know if we acknowledge ourselves as much as we should. Like I, I I'm genuinely worried about how it's going to look, how it's going to come back on me. Yeah. I think yeah. again, you know I mean? We're, we're fragile creatures, but, you know what I mean? Yeah, and like, yeah. I, I couldn't afford to kind of, lose my nursing registration you know what i mean that gives me the job as a lecturer and that as well so like oh, i can't say that i don't think about that when i'm making decisions and stuff i think now i would just try and be transparent with with people but yeah no i i think absolutely that um there are decisions made because we're worried about how it's going to look yeah, to us yeah. uh, like or how it's going to look to how our motives are essentially interpreted interpreted by the patient, by like their family maybe. And then you've got like, what are my colleagues going to think? And what is the organization going to think? Yeah, what yeah. is like ombudsman going to think? Yeah. What, are, what are the press going to think? You know, I mean, there's... There's a long because, line of people outside your door just ready to pass. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, when you've got a lot of eyes watching or a lot of potential eyes watching, then I think you do really, really think carefully about your decisions and um it's not always just about what you think the the best thing for the patient is I, th I think that that would always be there but i think sometimes whether conscious or unconscious there's a bit of that worry about ourselves that's interesting so so once you get somebody into hospital um i think a lot of people think that that's a therapeutic environment mm -hmm. um is that the case I think it, it depends, N not for, I mean, like, again, I want to be careful in just saying that I'm, I'm speaking from my own experience course, and stuff like that. And um, like, I'm sure that there is, there's wards there somewhere. And I think that there are wards that are doing a lot of good work, but I think for me, um, and like, it's, it's probably illustrated really well by this quote, which you'll like, Chris, uh, well, you'll like it and you won't like it. But yeah. I remember a patient just kind of catching me in a corridor on the ward um, after he'd been in for about a week or something. And I, I can't remember exactly the details of why he was in, but just caught me in the corridor and said, um, can you let me know, when does the therapy start? And I remember having that, that really crushing feeling. And like, it was, it was definitely a moment for me when I was like, this is it, mate. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is it. And I think, I, I think, I, I guess I could quote some academic now, but uh, Professor David Pil Pilgrim, I think he maybe works at University of Liverpool or something now, but he describes um, acute mental health as uh, risk containers right. and not treatment units. And I, and I think that that was often what it was. Um, 
the it's it's interesting because your ward um your ward routine is structured to a degree around probably meal times and medications yeah yeah things which always happen and for me and like i would certainly never doubt you know i mean that medication is an important part of of mental health care i think sometimes overemphasized and maybe kind of used as a quick fix because we're missing some of the other good stuff at yeah, times yeah. um but f for me the, the therapeutic stuff the being in a room the connecting the talking that should be as routine it like in some instances it's it's more important i think if people got more of that stuff then they might need less medication in in certain circumstances yeah, you know i mean yeah. i can't i can't generalize and stuff but um yeah so no like I, I think sometimes these environments are really quite chaotic um sometimes there's not a lot of staff sometimes um and it's yeah i i, I couldn't say that the place where i worked despite the intentions of yeah, like yeah. A, a lot of good nurses there i want to be really clear a lot of good nurses trying to do their best but it's often frantic and quite kind of chaotic and i think it's quite easy for people to become kind of forgotten about in a way you know i mean there, there's obviously a lot of people who'd be in a lot of distress and then a lot of focus goes on them and then other people fade into the background and yeah no I, I i couldn't say that it was as therapeutic as it should be so, and i think yeah. anyway i guess i'll finish with this point before uh, but just but like i think that the best way any of us can think about that is like environments that we've worked in and i guess i'm speaking to all mental health nurses here and um, the best test is like how would you feel if you were admitted there or if a loved yeah, one was admitted yeah. there like would you would you really feel that that was kind of worthwhile for them Again, despite intentions, because I, I want, I, you know what I mean? I don't want to kind of fall out with uh, the rest of my profession. <laughs> Best not, no. Um, so, so, I don't know. So how does the assessment process work? So you, you admit somebody, and then at some point, there must be a decision that they are no longer a risk to themselves or others. But if, if you're not engaging with people therapeutically, and, and if it is a, a chaotic environment, as you describe, that must be very yeah. difficult to make that assessment. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because, and I had a, I had a conversation with a colleague um, years ago. It said like, everyone's always really quick to diagnose somebody with a personality disorder, particularly when they're in an acute mental health ward. Right. And he was like, but if you think about if you were in an acute mental health ward, you would probably behave in very similar ways because it's like, there's a lot of power and control. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of new relationships um, at once. Um, and I think I would be frustrated. I would be angry and stuff like that. So I think it's it's important that we take context in account when we do assess people. But I, I do think a lot of assessment was was kind of snapshot. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and again, for, for me, particularly in, in, in my previous experience, a lot of the assessment was done by a psychiatrist or junior doctors and, and the people that are spending the least time with people yes, and yes. certainly nursing staff would contribute to that and in, in terms of what they saw but again then what the psychiatrist gets is a snapshot of seeing the patient themselves and they get the nurse's story they get the nurse's story of 
what that person's been like. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And it kind of, there's a, there's definitely a bit of bias in there because we're, we're not always, the way we tell stories is always from our own perspective because we don't have anything else. So a lot of subjectivity comes into that. Yeah. So I, I don't know, I suppose so-and-so is a pain in the ass or I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So your ward rounds, whether, you know, on, on the ward, whether they, whether they be daily, weekly, how would that, how would it normally operate? Yeah. So, so normally, normally weekly, um, which is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. In like, it's a long time. Like, so you think about it and particularly like, so we're doing 12 hour shifts, right? And, we were off and on for kind of two on, two off, or three on, two off. Yeah. And at the end of that, like, third day, you're just knackered. You're just, like, so burnt out. You're sick of the sight of the place, and you're just, like, completely <laughs> lost. But then you think, I've got to go home in between all those 12 hours. Yes. Um, and I've got a couple of days off. But if people are in that, like, it does, I think it does become a bit of that kind of big brother house. And, like, I, I, don't, I don't think... That, you know, I mean, be, being in anywhere for uh, a kind of long period of time. I mean, I think it's it's probably something that's uh, fresh in, in all of our minds, particularly given the, the lockdowns that we've had over the, the last kind of uh, couple of years. Yeah. But it's not it's not a nice experience. And I think like having to wait like a week for another decision and stuff like that. And yeah. sometimes stuff was, was happening in between. Um, but. I, I, al I always felt really frustrated that maybe a patient would ask me, can I, am I getting out on pass and stuff like that? And um, like, can I think about this medication being reviewed and stuff like that? And and I would then just have to go in and email a doctor or try and phone the doctor's secretary. And then there was that, like, you're almost a bit of that middleman, particularly yeah, in, in yeah. ward nursing, where you're kind of, you're trying to communicate with the person that can make the decision. And like, there was generally like, I had a lot of feelings of like, what do I, what do I do? You know what I mean? Other than sort of really messages in between this person that I'm spending a lot of time with and then wait for someone else to kind of, um, to make the decision. And I think again, like, because if a psychiatrist is maybe just coming on the ward once a week or whatever, seeing a person and then going away, I think that can influence the decisions that you make because if you're going to make a decision and you're going to be then be with that person for the rest of the yeah, week, yeah. then you're going to have to really buy into that decision and you're going to have to be able to constantly justify that decision. But if you're making a decision and then walking away for a week, I think it's probably easier to just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to speak for psychiatrists that, that are obviously kind of really busy and have got a lot of stuff to think about, but it, it was just one of my real big frustrations that I was with a person most of the time and I had a real kind of limited power. And I mean, I think for, for me that the person should always have as much power as possible, but even me, the, the next best, the next closest <laughs> thing to uh, somebody that's with them all the time, I didn't have a lot of power and say so. It's, it's, it's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Because, uh, you, you know, you, judging people for, have, for strange behaviour you know, mm -hmm. we, we've put them in a strange environment. Uh, they, they're not sure exactly how the hierarchy works. No, yeah. no wonder behaviours become peculiar. You know, humans, we seek patterns. 
wherever we go. And and if they get those patterns wrong, then yeah. they'll be pa pathologized in no time at all to being yeah. manipulative and attention seeking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah. I mean, it's it's something, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, so like obviously a a key assessment kind of feature of um, of mental health issues is kind of how well do you do within relationships? And you think about if you're admitted to a ward, then you've got the difficulties of kind of different shift patterns, different yeah. kind of doctors and nurses coming and going all the time. So you've got to figure that out. And then you've got like potentially up to, I think when I worked on the wards, I think it's less now, but we had uh, like 28 patients. Now it's like, so you've got 27 other people to figure out all in different yeah, degree yeah, of yeah. kind of uh, distress as well. You know what I mean? So that becomes a really, really complex environment. So it's not, it's not, it's not fair for that assessment to be based on a person's behavior in a, in a little bubble. And also saying, you know, another thing while you were talking, it just sort of came to mind was uh, the fact that we, we often say people fail to engage. Yeah. Engage with what? <laughs> what are they engaging with? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what, like my, my, my colleagues got out, like told me a really good story about that. You know, I mean, of a woman that kind of um, essentially can't remember what she was admitted for but just kind of took to her bed and stuff like that and and then there was a lot of kind of a lot of that talk you know what i mean oh she's not engaging she's just really lethargic she's not motivated and stuff like that um and then they just asked her you know what i mean like you notice you're spending a lot of time in bed she's like yeah there's nothing to do <laughs> and like it's, what it's would you do really simple <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's really simple it's really simple i think the the options that are offered to um people in an acute mental health wards certainly when I worked were really really limited you know what I mean I remember you know I mean a guy being offered like arts and crafts and he's like arts and fucking crafts you know what I mean that's not for everyone it's not for no, everyone no. so and yeah it's it's really tough you know what I mean what I, I walk around the grounds or oh, what for the 20th time a day you know yeah, what I mean it's yeah. like I, I I get it I think like I I know myself and I I look around me just now and I've got a lot of stuff to stimulate my brain and I've got a lot of purpose and meaning and that's the stuff that keeps us well you know what i mean it's like having something to do having something to get out of bed yeah, for yeah. Uh, having someone that relies on you or, or something and then like i do think about acute mental health boards and like there's not always that and it's we, we need to we need to keep that stuff in mind when we're if we are making an assessment within a context have to be mindful of how much of this person's current experience, thoughts, feelings, behavior is influenced by this context. Yes, it's it's not a scientific bubble. It's you know, it's not like no. that. You're you're observing them, and you as the scientists aren't affecting their their world in any yeah. way. You yeah, are. It's, the, uh, yeah, it's not a person's like natural habitat. I'm saying that in <laughs> inverted commas. We don't know what that is because we're we're social creatures, but. Yeah, yeah. You, you're talking about how people uh, often got the personality disorder label slapped mm. on them for for behaviours within the ward. But what kind of effect does that have on the support people might get on the ward? Yeah, you know, well, like it's, uh, I mean, you know, that's my area of interest, oh, yes. uh, Chris and stuff. So um, it's, yeah, it's guilt, someone that guilty really... Guilty of leading the witness here. Yeah, absolutely. But and it's it's someone that really irks me. And I think like that's as part of the reason I've become so interested in in kind of researching that diagnosis and kind of being quite quite vocal about it. But I think the the way I would hear uh, personality disorders 
described in in the wards and stuff like that and i'm just like it becomes a slur very quickly like it and like i can think of literally anyone that was finding a patient difficult to work with was finding it challenging in terms of interacting with them it was very quickly oh i think i think she's got a pd i think she's pd and and for me like looking back what they're really saying is i don't like them yeah that's what they're saying that's what they're saying and um, it becomes very, very quick, and so much so that, like, I mean, I've written other stuff about it that people are written off um, before you've even met them. Like, I do remember the seven in the morning, you know, what I mean, coming in, and you get the handover, and uh, night shift nurse says, "Oh, we've got this person they were admitted overnight, took an overdose at kind of three in the morning here for a crisis admission." They've got a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, and like literally the whole room sighs, like like ah, <laughs> oh. like so. There's a there's a defeatism, like there's a defeatist attitude, there's a therapeutic pessimism already. You know, what I mean, just just with those words, so borderline a cultural personality disorder. belief that these people are untreatable is that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's the thing. And then you've not even met that person, and I, like, I'm a firm believer in the self fulfilling prophecy oh, in yeah. that the reason that like a lot of people don't necessarily get better in mental health care depends on the attitudes of the people that are working with them. You know, I mean, how much enthusiasm, how much hope, how much um, effort do you yeah, put into yeah. people because you, you really think that they can make progress, that they can change, that they can get where they need to be. And then what happens when you don't have that? You either avoid them or you have a suspicion every time you talk to them, you know what I mean? Because you think they're master manipulators. Again, yeah. I'm saying that in inverted commas. I, mean, I always my, think my that like- My experience with people with, you know, and I include myself with that label, um, is it stands out because by and large, as a group, we're pretty shit at manipulating. You know, <laughs> you know we, we, we're almost apologetic about having a need. And so we tie yeah. ourselves into all kinds of bizarre knots to try and get yeah. that need met. And, yeah. and by the time you reach the end product, it looks at times ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, like it, the thing that always struck me was, I mean, and like, you know, I mean, I'll hold my hands up and say, I, I'm a human, you know, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I am not kind of immune from having been frustrated with people with that diagnosis and thinking, oh, like, oh, why have you run off the ward again? And I'm on the phone to the police and, I'm hoping you're not dead and, and yeah, like yeah. really just having all that human stuff that makes it complicated to have relationships with people. But I think I, I quickly noticed as a student, you know, what I mean, in, even in I think it was when I was in second year um, as a student, I think it was the first time I really noticed like a, a kind of a large number of people with that that diagnosis uh, being admitted. And it was just interesting noticing, right, this person's in a lot of distress and they have been cutting themselves, they've been threatening suicide, um, they, they seem in a lot of emotional pain, but the staff are all pissed off with them. Like, and just, just really noticing that like whole, right, I'm a mental health nurse, I want to care with people, I want to connect with people, um, here's someone in a lot of distress, oh, fuck's sake, you know what I mean? <laughs> there's a, like, there's, a, there's, there's something wrong with that. And I, like, I get it, it's really, it's really complicated because I think as, it's mental health nurses on wards, you know, I mean, we're sort of trapped in that little bubble as well. Yeah, and yeah. it's uh, it's scary to um, 
to worry about someone's life and it's it's frustrating to feel so helpless sometimes you know what i mean like you say when you know what i mean a person's got a need but it's it's maybe communicated in kind of chaotic ways yeah, and it's yeah. difficult to make sense of it is tough but i always like wondered about that i was like how can i how can i make sense of that and i think that's that's probably the thinking that I've, I've taken with me into kind of master study and my PhD now is like, how do we make sense of people that are in crisis, feeling overwhelmed, yeah. um, feeling really lost and the staff that you would think if you asked any of them, why did you come into the profession, want to help people? Yeah. Why, why, do they, why do they end up being really burnt out and not wanting to help people? Or wanting to help, but yeah. just being so so helpless that it kind of it comes out as frustration. I've written you a piece about um, crisis, uh, crisis support for people with uh, the label of personality disorder, and it, it, it's it's interesting being being somebody who is laughingly called a service user. It's laughingly because there are no services, um, <laughs> but. <laughs> You, you you look at uh, crisis care and what is crisis care? Well, it's it's often uh, a helpline, and you phone yeah. the helpline and you speak to somebody who you've never spoken to before, and you tell them all your shit, yeah. and then you may or may not feel better after that. You hang up, and then you phone the helpline again another time, and you have to do it again and again and yeah. again. And there's no continuity of care. There's no yeah. there's no nobody there. For you so you know i can understand how people get to that point of absolute frustration where you know the the service it it, it comes across as it's there primarily for the service and yeah. and the the punters come quite far down the line so it's service first staff second and and, and then punters and yeah and and then by the time somebody's admitted to hospital you know they've tried crisis care they've tried accident and emergency yeah and and then you know they they end up in on a ward you know no wonder the behavior is a bit odd yeah yeah i i think that's it's, it's a totally fair point isn't it because like and I, I remember that as well you know i mean wondering like why is this person being admitted again you know i mean you've got like three four admissions in a month and stuff yeah. or you've got really long admissions and then you just do a bit of the math of like right so what happens when that person goes home? What else is there? Yeah. What else is out there? You know what I mean? And if, like, and if we're saying right, this acute admission ward is not the right place for you, and I think like we can both agree that these are not places that we would say are the most therapeutic yeah. at times, and yeah. they've got a limited benefit. Um, what else is there? And 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 if there's nothing else, then we can't be surprised, and we shouldn't be become frustrated with people because they're coming back to us because. There, there's not something else there apart from like you say you know what i mean helplines where you've got to kind of repeat yourself and tell your story again and then you maybe tell a bit of your story maybe you get a bit of that useful kind of human connection and then you're kind of le left with it again you know what i mean what what do i do with this and i think like like you chris i i really think that consistency of care and really building up a relationship with someone you trust yeah, over time yeah. is the that's the best thing that we have got to offer in mental health care but like we're not we're not really good at kind of organizing care in that way a lot of the time i think there's high thresholds for kind of access to any kind of care mm -hmm. um and like i say it's 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 often 
service centered or it's kind of sort of diagnosis centered and it's not necessarily about the person a lot of the time and i know it's like i, I don't envy people that have to really organize no, care no. but um I do think that there's got to be a better way sometimes. The, the, the danger, I mean, again, just some things I've, I've sort of heard recently and, and over time is um, when, when, when somebody does reach somebody who, who's giving them that kind of human touch, mm -hmm. the, the person giving them the human touch is, are often pilloried for reinforcing their behaviour. You know, <sighs> you're creating need where, you know, raising expectations and... Yeah. It's, it's so, like, it's horrible, isn't it? You know what I mean? And, like, the idea that by really connecting with someone and really showing empathy that you're kind of, you're almost doing a disservice to, to everyone else that works in a different way or you're kind of, you're feeding into it or you're kind of, you know what I mean? You're creating kind of dependence. And, like, I, I think that's, like, that's a huge issue as well is the the inconsistency in approaches between people so like the you know i mean you could get people that are diagnosed with whatever or accessing whatever service just based on getting a different nurse or a different psychiatrist yes, you know what i mean could, yes. can be having same service same model same whatever you can have a hugely different experience just based on some of their personal ethos. It's the relationship that, that, that you know, like you mentioned yep. earlier, it's the relationship. That that's what it's about. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. It's uh, the, the, the other thing that was sort of jumping into my mind just while you were talking there was uh, that, that personality disorder is often seen as inorganic, whereas there, where yep. there are organic illnesses. And somehow, you know, even though you know, the premise is spurious. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the people with, with a, a behavioral problem are seen as less valid. Yeah. But it's given a sort of scientific label that it's like, you yeah, know, because it's science, you know, these, these people are, that's more of a statement than anything else. It wasn't really a question. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I think, I, I think that's a, a really good point, Chris. And I like, I think they, the words behavioral are like i think it's 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 often it's something that is it's thrown about i hear that all the time it's one of my gripes you know what i mean that or it's behavioral or it's just behavior but then you're like right but what's behavior based on behavior is based on what we think and what we feel so it's yeah, based on yeah. mental states so like if we understand that and why people might think in certain ways why people might feel in certain ways then you'll understand the behavior. You know what I mean? It's about getting to that need. You know what I mean? It's about looking beyond what a person is expressing and then like, what is it communicating? It's it's all some kind of communication. Um, yeah, like I, I, re I really think that like, I, th I think, I mean, I know that all mental health diagnoses are contestable to a degree, yeah, you know what I mean? In yeah. terms of scientific validity, but I think more than, more than any other almost the, the personality disorder diagnosis when you look at the roots and essentially things that have happened to people yes. you know what i mean and like and you can you can do the math you know what i mean you can you can have conversations with people and i've never worked with anyone where there's been like nothing like fairly kind of obvious or a way of making sense of it and yeah, then yeah they're diagnosed with this kind of the personality disorder which locates the problem inside them and not in terms of their sort of context yeah, or their yeah. 
what what's happened to them and it's yeah it kind of it blows my mind and i think there's the issue is that you know i mean i, I think labels are fine to a degree because i think you kind of you want to organize care okay yes. right like yeah. this is this is roughly this and that means that you should go in this direction but the problem with some labels is that like you know what i mean there's so much stigma misunderstanding suspicion attached that it actually impacts on um, people's experiences and like i've had that conversation about people that have said to me like um right so you're doing a phd around crisis intervention experiences for people diagnosed with bpd but you're telling me you don't really believe in kind of bpd <laughs> as a valid construct and i'm like yeah absolutely pretty much you're it, right yes. <laughs> and um but the reason i can justify my exploration into that area is that people have the label they're given the label and that label impacts on care yeah um yeah. so that that's that's part of what i'm wanting to kind of look at you know what i mean is the like how how do people understand their own kind of diagnosis um how do others understand it um how does it make them feel about themselves what what's that do that sense yeah, of self yeah, and then yeah. how does it impact on your care experiences so i can still justify kind of using it in my uh, in my work just in terms of exploring the impact of the label it's an interesting label because you know when you sit down and you mention it to any human being in the street and uh, they it, it's pretty meaningless i mean when, yeah. when, I, when i was doing the walk um mm -hmm. i remember speaking to a guy in ullapool and mm -hmm. uh we got chatting about uh, borderline personality disorder and he goes oh, i've never heard of that and i said um do you ever watch csi he said, oh, yeah, I watch CSI. He said, do you enjoy it? He said, yeah. I said, it's usually me that did it. Went, oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 that, and I think that sort of sums up the world's view of uh, borderline personality disorder. It's uh, it is, it's a weird one. While, while you were talking about it, you know, you, you, you were saying that it, very often we don't take into account the person's world and their experiences. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that surprised me, and, and I don't know if this is the case with many uh, hospitals, uh, psychiatric hospitals, mental health hospitals, there doesn't seem to be much straddling between the community and the hospital. Is, is that a, a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, like, again, it's, it's something that I think can vary team to team, yeah. ward to ward and stuff like that. And, like, often these are really kind of subtle connections but i think certainly when i worked there wasn't a great that was almost that handing over you know right. what i mean it was like right i'll do the community stuff and then you do the ward stuff and there's almost like a you know i mean i'll phone you when they're discharged and there's not that again that that continuity so like i can imagine being in distress and if i've got a connection with someone that's maybe been working with me in the community for a year or something like that then I, I, I still want their input in a in yeah, a kind of inpatient yeah. environment, like even if it's not like, even if it's just them coming to see me or whatever. And I know that I know that happens sometimes, but I think there is a bit of a a separation of a lot of services. It's like you do that bit, I'll do this bit. And again, it's I know it's really kind of complex to to manage care, but but consistency and continuity is so important. Um, and I know people that it's like I'd worked with before that had maybe been in hospital for sometimes a couple of years. And yeah. then 
you think of what had happened and then there'd be maybe been a series of like locum psychiatrists. Yeah. So people that are in post for either like three to six months and then they all have a different take. So yeah, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Someone arrives, what are you doing on this medications? You know what I mean? Oh, this <laughs> yes. isn't the right way to do this. And then suddenly, you know what I mean? There's not only that making sense of that like acute mental health ward that's really chaotic, but there's someone else that's got a totally different take on it. You get used to that for six months and then someone else comes along. Yeah, you've got yeah. a, a different relationship and then they've got a different take. What are you doing on this medication? Blah, blah, blah. And it's, yeah, we just think like, if we could just get some of that kind of continuity. But again, I know it's 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 tough. It, it was funny with uh, social work in Edinburgh. The, it depended on who the, the new manager of the, the, the social work department, uh, it, they would have this notion that we should have social workers in hospital and that will facilitate moving people out of hospital. And then somebody would say, no, no, a terrible idea because uh, the social workers become institutionalized. And, and you know, it just, for me, it makes sense to have people yeah. on the ward who've got a foot in both camp. camp mm -hmm. So, you, so you've, you've got that kind of continuity of, of care and, and a recognition of all the things that might be impacting on a person. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think like integration is the I mean, the word, isn't it? That's kind of thrown about quite yeah. a lot. But like, I've I've not quite seen it. I guess like as as I imagine it, and I'm often kind of criticised as having idealistic or utopian views of of the way things could be. But I do think things could be better if we're we're really much more kind of connected. And I think if we had maybe kind of clearer kind of understanding of, of some roles i think particularly kind of mental health nursing uh, I, I do think that we I, I i i don't know if it's just me that's got an existential crisis or like the profession to a degree because yeah, i think yeah. it's so diverse that we don't quite know what we do a lot of the time i i i would love to love to get there i, I spoke to a, a a psychiatric nursing a mental health nursing lecturer at, mm -hmm. at gloucester university and uh, he was arguing the case for not having mental health nurses at all, that we should just have nurses who who understand mental health. So, you know, it, it's all nurses' responsibility to consider people's mental health. Yeah. Now, that's an interesting one, um, because I know that, like, I think in the, in the UK, we're potentially the last place that has still got fields of nursing. Like, we've yeah, got mental yeah. health nurses, like I think everywhere else in the world, they do have um, just nurses. But... I think what you have to think really carefully about is why people go into the job that they do. And yeah. for me, just being a nurse is not like, I wouldn't have done it. No, I, I don't think no. I, I, I wanted to be a person that like sat with people and connected with them and tried to understand what was going on for them and, and uh, all, all that kind of therapeutic stuff. And if it was kind of sold to me as being a kind of sort of generic nurse, then um, I, I'm not sure that I would have, I would have went for you it or bought into it. And I think yeah. there's, I, I think we, we maybe kind of like, and we don't do it justice as a particular specialism. You know what I mean? In terms of like understanding and working with mental health is really, really complex. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, and I'm like, I don't want to dismiss any kind of other sort of field of nursing, like adult or children's nursing. I think that's really complex, but it's mental health nursing is really, really unique. And I think like, I mean, we've got this this difficulty just now in that, you know, I mean, the 
all nursing courses are dictated to a degree by the nursing and midwifery council that say you've got to have this in it. Sure, you know what sure. I mean? So that that limits our freedom to a degree. Um, and I know different mental health um, courses are different in different universities. I know that some places have got a dedicated mental health nursing course. What we've got is a kind of nursing course and then a, like in our third year, the students get dedicated mental health right, stuff at that right. point. But the rest of the time, it's kind of um, all the students are together getting okay. the same kind of learning. But even then, Chris, I, I'm finding it quite difficult. Like I, what I what I would like is, I mean, what would all of us like ultimate control and ultimate power. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I, I think that like to have really good mental health nurses that you really need a mental health course that is yes i mean obviously you, you would do the nmc bits if you're still going to be a nurse you would yeah, do that yeah. um but again i, I don't know sometimes I, I don't feel that i can uh, i'm a mental health nurse but i'm i'm sometimes uncomfortable with the nursing bit and that's maybe because of the association with kind of ward work and um how there's probably a lot of emphasis on kind of tasks yeah and, and yeah. things like that and not connections and I think people have said that to me, oh, maybe you should have done psychology. And I'm like, maybe I should have done, or maybe mental health nursing can can be better. Can be, can be more than it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I really think so. I mean, there's, there's an interesting writer, uh, Eric Maisel. He's got a book called The Future of Mental Health, and that's quite idealistic and stuff in some ways as well. But what he argues is that we kind of do away with... Um, like psychiatry and mental health nursing and stuff like that. And he, he pitches uh, human experience specialists. Right, right. Uh, and I think like, okay, but there would be a lot of people being really kind of upset and I'm sure a lot of argument about that. But when I think about that, like job title, I think there's a bit of like human experience specialist that kind of, it conjures up of like, a, a kind of a scruffy hippie looking dude you know it what does, I mean? that's that, what like, i've got that's has, the image has I've lived got. you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> it's smoking a joint on his way to see patients and stuff yeah, like that but yeah. like um th there's something about that that like i i find really attractive as an idea because i think that that's that's where i see myself and that's like where that's where my values where my beliefs where my ethos and ways of working are at just now um and it's whether like whether or not we do need to kind of just bulldoze all and start yeah. again and maybe that human experience focus becomes much more prominent um or maybe maybe all the other mental health nurses are right and i'm wrong i don't know <laughs> but you, you you were talking about your your utopian ideal and before i sort of leap onto that I'll, I'll, i'm gonna write that down to remind myself um you've got students who go on placements yeah um how does that feel for you i mean it feels like the way you de you describe it, you you do describe uh, a kind of a, an ideal situation that nurses, uh, an ideal training that the nurses will have before they go into that environment, and then they yeah. go into a culture that well, you tell me. Yeah. Okay. So I've got I've got a nice story for you here, Chris, as well that you'll like, but. Um... So like it's it, it's been it's it's a real area of frustration for us in a lot of ways, given that like so essentially the courses are set up so fifty percent of a student's time they're with us to a degree. And actually, if you look at it on paper, we don't really get that much dedicated time with them when yeah. they've got like a lot of genetic learning to get. So the, the amount of uh, dedicated mental health stuff is in my mind maybe not the level that it could be. So we've got fifty percent 
that we get to communicate with them in some way. But then we've got another 50% where they're out on placements in practice that we have really limited control over. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, like, personally, I've got no control over it. You know what I mean? There are links between university and uh, practice, but I don't have any... Um, any influence over that whatsoever and there is the potential that and again you know i mean I like don't want to kind of generalize because there's some cracking mental health nurses out there some not so good ones as yeah, well yeah um there is the potential that like we teach students in certain ways and um they go into placement and they're just told essentially ah just forget all that um, and I've had I've had a, re, a couple of really explicit examples of that uh, lately, and that someone that I um, kind of trained with, I would sort of say is is um, someone that I liked and yeah. stuff as well, um, said that they were kind of getting challenged by some students about um, kind of uh, working more therapeutically. You know what I mean? So students were kind of wanting more; they were yeah, wanting to yeah. do do stuff differently and. And um, then they were saying to me, you're, you're, you're making it hard for us by kind of teaching people in this way. And, and, you know, I mean, almost sort of raising standards to the point that they're not achievable. And like to, to a degree, I, I, I get that because I felt that I felt stuck in the system in, yeah. in a way. You know, I mean, I, I always wanted more and I felt that I couldn't do that. So, so I get that. But this next example, like I, I can't get behind um, in that there was a, a, a guy working in an acute ward who essentially just sounded like he had a lot of hope for uh, working with a patient and stuff. And he kind of pitched stuff to the psychiatrist. Oh, I think try and get this guy CBT, try and do this, try and do yeah. that. And um, a nurse sat down with him and said, um, you know what? You, you can't do a Dan Warrender with every patient that you're working with. Like literally <laughs> name dropped me and like, was like, you, you can't do that. Um, and I had an, and I had an interesting conversation with a student after because I was like, what were you trying to do? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what, what is my name associated with? And and we all had a laugh because I was like, oh, don't don't flatter yourself. I was just trying to provide what I thought was basic care. So so my name's become synonymous with providing basic care, which is seen as kind of idealistic or, or whatever. And But like the thing that I really, like, it, it really hurts me in a way, Chris. Like, it really... Because like I was saying earlier, right, you like to feel that you, um, what you do matters or it means something. You've got a purpose. It gets you out of the bed. And then like I can pour my heart into teaching students in a particular way. Yeah. But then with one sentence, what are you trying to do doing a Dan Warrender? That, that's with devastating. Sentence, it, it's kicked out of them. It's kicked out yeah, of them so yeah. quickly. And and I like I, I think I probably have to admit now to being quite naive I mean it'll be approaching seven years that I've been working in the uni now and I really approached it thinking right I'm going to bring particular things into the curriculum into teaching that I didn't know I honestly think that I teach students stuff that I wish I'd known yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that I equipped them with that stuff but no matter what I do I have no control over that environment that they're going into so there's a total helplessness so there's a bit of like and I think so to be fair, some students really retain it, but I think you've got to be really strong to retain your sense of values and stuff if you're in an environment where everybody's doing something different. Yeah, I yeah. think there's that. Um, it's something that I'm, I've got like 
I've got three quarters of a blog written about because I got angry when I heard this about a year ago, I but I've never finished it. But, but, but to say that you're utopian, yeah. when, when you're talking about basic care, fundamental care, yeah, it, it sounds like we've, we've gone a long way back. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th I think we've lost... I do think we've lost kind of hope. And, like, and I know that I, I'm mindful of... Um, you know, I mean, if we want patients to be really well looked after, then we need staff to be really well looked after. And I know that's not often the case as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know I had some really tough experiences on the ward and kind of didn't necessarily feel kind of supported. There was a case of can I get on with it? And I like I, I still I provide kind of clinical supervision for some staff and stuff as well. And And to be honest, because I'm kind of on the sidelines to yeah, a degree, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm still really involved and interested in mental health nursing and stuff, but I'm kind of like, I'm separate from the NHS in, in a large way. Uh, people come to me with their stories and, yeah. and they tell me and, and they want to talk to me about it. And you hear a lot of instances where staff have been through really tough stuff and they've not been supported. And sure. then it's that whole kind of pouring from an empty cup, isn't it? You know what I mean? That kind of like, if we've got really burnt out nurses, may, maybe, maybe their self-defense mechanism is to become really quite defeatist. So I'm like, while it's really angry for me to kind of hear that, um, I, I try and mentalize it. I try yeah, and wonder yeah. like, what's that about? Because surely you didn't kind of go into your first day on the job sort of thinking that way. That's, that is interesting. I mean, I'm always uh, reminded of the fact when, when I was, doing my social work training that uh, I was told that the best social work you will ever do is as a student because once you're in yeah. you're in the messy world of social work it's it, it it's there's less scope to 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 be that good and to give people that amount of time yeah it's interesting that i mean i remember when i when i first went to um the uni, I kind of like I, I was I was always reluctant in terms of going to the uni because I think I, I, I worked in an acute ward for three years before I sort of made that transition to university. And I say I would say that I kind of stumbled into academia because I was kind of I was interested. I did a master's and stuff like that. Um, and actually, when I got the job, um, they'd, the uni had said to me, do you want to come full time or part time? And I said, well, I'd, I'd like to go negotiate part time. So I still want that connection with practice. Um, and I went back to my boss and he said, it's easier if you just leave. <laughs> and and, the, and the, the basis of that was that it's um, it's easier to recruit a full-time post. Yes, so it was it very is. much about yeah. like service and numbers and stuff like that. But, but what I did negotiate, I went to the uni full-time, but for a couple of years, I negotiated like a half day in practice where I would go back into the wards and I would host like just recovery groups and right, stuff like that. Right. So I just get groups of people... Um, off the board and, and just talk just talk about whatever and the horrible thing was like that's stuff that i wanted to do on the ward all the time yeah. i always wanted to do that and never felt like either i got an opportunity or that there was space to do it you know what i mean there was kind of it was really really difficult to do that and that's sad that i kind of had to be i had to be super numerate you right, know what i mean right. and i had to come in like not being part of the numbers yeah, yeah. To, to be able to do that but then the, the difficulty was after a while, you know, I mean, I think like a lot of people would connect with me because it was my old ward and there was like a lot of patients that I knew and they would like trust me. But 
as time went on and there was like newer patients that had not been admitted before, I was kind of coming in sort of once a week and people didn't know me. Yeah, yeah. Like what should have been happening is like what should have been happening when I was there full time is that the staff on the ward should have had the space yeah. um, and the encouragement and the guidance and the support to do that with the people because they're the people that are building up the relationships yeah, with them yeah, yeah. instead of me coming in from outside a face that you don't know yeah. saying do you want to talk to me like there's sometimes people would but some sometimes people don't yeah it's almost like hit and run care isn't it yeah yeah gosh yeah so the i don't know there's this so much sort of in that area the so you you've, you've got your students and then you i don't know you you fire them off into the world and, and then they they become they become whatever the culture requires them to be. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I, I think like I mean, there's, there's there's definitely a lot of them that that retain that kind of strong set of values. Yeah, but yeah. I, th I think I, they're the ones that often find it tough. You know, what I mean, I bet. They, 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 I bet. and they're the ones that potentially move on, kind uh, of go and go and do different things or whatever. But I, I think it is. It is tough, yeah, and I, I, I don't like that helplessness of kind of. No. Um, that... So you you've spread yourself in in different ways. So you're a lecturer, you're a a, a nurse, um, you're a mentalization therapist. Yes. Yeah. Can you briefly sort of tell us a little bit about what mentalization is? What what would people expect from from that? Yeah, so like mentalizing, it's almost like I almost think like. I always describe it as something that sounds much fancier than it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like it, for me, it always conjures that. I'm not sure if you've seen Anchorman 2, but there's a psychologist <laughs> that shows up at the end and he's like, he's a telepath, you know, he can move things with his mind and stuff like it sounds like mentalization. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it sounds really epic, but I mean, mentalization is just like thinking about thinking right? or like focusing on minds and not behavior. So it's actually really quite a loose right. therapy in, in a lot of ways. And I think that's why I kind of, I'm really, really attracted to it. There's a, it's got a kind of common sense view of the mind, which essentially says that all behavior is based on mental states. You know I mean? Sure, it's based sure. on what people are thinking and what people are feeling. Um, and mentalization focuses mentalizing a person's self and then mentalizing others so it's it's really quite a good therapy for helping people manage difficulties in relationships with other people right. and helping people understand themselves as well um, and like i mean if, if anyone is listening and doesn't know what kind of uh, mentalization is to mentalize yourself you just kind of say like right what am i thinking and what am i feeling and uh, where's that coming from like right. what's that about right and, and you're doing the same thing with other people, you know, I mean, I, I guess with other people, there's always that restrained imagination, because like, I guess we're having this conversation just now, Chris, and I, I don't have an absolute idea of what's going on in your head. So no, I've got to do a no. bit of guesswork. Of course. Uh, and, and the best way of getting to that is obviously having a conversation with you and asking you. Yeah, yeah. But it's described as the kind of the in between between sort of mindfulness and empathy, sure. you know, what I mean, where there's a focus on the self and a focus on others. Um, so like, really really simple and, and the goal behind mentalizing that if someone is mentalizing then you just help keep them mentalizing and if somebody's not mentalizing then you try and get them to take stop right okay let's 
think about what's going on for you just now. Think about what you were feeling in that situation. What were you thinking? Maybe yeah. what, what was that person thinking? So it's it's making sense of the, I guess, the, the script of mental states sure, that's maybe sure. not always obvious to us. And I think like, you know, I mean, like definitely being out in the world, it can be socially cross claustrophobic because we never know what other people are thinking. And that can be really scary. But sometimes it's actually easier to mentalize others than mentalize yourself. I know that particularly for myself, um, I can sometimes be a bit of a passenger in my own skin. Right. Um, and then I need to really explicitly sit down and be like, right, okay, what, how can I make sense of what I'm feeling just now? And you kind of just do a bit of that yeah. piecing together and try and be honest with yourself about what's going on. So it, it sounds like you're encouraging people to get into a habit of, of, doing yeah. this all the time so it's yeah it's not a sort of you know i do something to do to you look you're better now thanks very much off you go it, yeah it's it's providing people with the tools yeah absolutely and and like what one of my favorite things about mentalizing is that you are encouraged to a degree to kind of mentalize the relationship yeah. you know what i mean so when you're in the room with someone and may like say imagine something goes wrong like you you say something and then like the person that you're with kind of appears to clam up, goes a little bit quiet or whatever. And you, you would, you would verbalize that. You yes. know what I mean? You, you, re yeah. you really, yeah. you, you really mark those moments that you're noticing in the room and saying, right, I said this thing. I've noticed that you've got a little bit quiet. I, I'm, I'm a bit worried that I've upset you. You know yeah. what I mean? So I'm, yeah. I'm narrating my mental state. So there's a bit of that when other people's mental states are really uncertain it's really scary so you try and role yeah, model yeah, just yeah. being explicit being really transparent this is what i'm thinking um, and i've noticed that you've kind of you've stopped talking to me so i i'm i'm worried that i've upset you but like can you let me know what's going on for you just now so you, you have to do a bit of that role modeling and you're you can use the stuff that's going on in the room between you and a person to then apply it to other relationships say right that went on between us and i'm really glad that we've made sense of that now but like does that happen with other people? Yeah, yeah. Does that happen elsewhere? So, and it's, I think what's, what's nice is that like, I, I think the only reason that I was really attracted to it is that I felt that I could, um, there's a lot of this stuff that I'm doing anyway, to a degree. Sure. And it's, it's nice to have a bit of a frame and like I say, like never um, be too strict with it, but it's nice to have some edges. Um, but it feels really quite loose and natural and it, I'm still a mentalization based therapist and I would still say that I use that model, but I find it's really, it's, it's flexible enough to be really, really person centered for me. Like it, but really person centered, you know I mean? Not I mean, just that, you're not tokenistically person centered. And also you're with them, you know, you, it's, it's almost like saying, well, you know, mentalization is something that you need to do. You're also saying yeah. well, mentalization is something I have to do. Yeah, I, I have to mentalize. And it was interesting you earlier on, you spoke about nurses and how yes. you felt that mentalization within the, the staff team was important. Yeah, yeah, I that's that's a really I'm glad you've got my on to that, Chris, because I think there's again, like with anything, when you learn mentalization based therapy, there's maybe a bit of non mentalizing that people can do in the start and thinking that like, ah, I'm learning this mentalization based therapy because patients and people diagnosed with bpd don't mentalize yeah and it's like no you're learning <laughs> it because mentalization is a human social process and you are a human and yeah, you need to recognize yeah. when you're not mentalizing just as much 
as you need to recognize when someone else is not mentalizing and i think that's that's the beauty of it and i think like um for me and the, the folk in my, my mbt supervision group that's what we'd always kind of emphasize is the strength of mentalization based therapy is that focus on looking at yourself as a yeah, practitioner yeah. you know what i mean like what are you bringing to this like it's I mean, it encourages us to sort of try and see other people from the inside. So yeah, try and do yeah. that empathy. But then try and see yourself from the outside. What is it like for this person to be nursed by me? Yeah, what is it like yeah. for this person to be in the room with me? And how am I influencing this interaction? And then doing like, oh, well, wow. I think I'm, maybe I was abrupt there. And then you have to do that kind of mentalizing of like, oh, maybe I was abrupt. What's going on for me? Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm. I'm knackered. I didn't sleep well last night. I'm pissed off because my boss has put me on two weekends in a row. Right, I'm, I'm recognizing this. I'm bringing this into yeah, my interactions. Yeah. And once you've got it, you can do something about it. But if we're not doing any mentalizing, then we're never going to get there. So like, I think that's the beauty of it is that it really encourages us to acknowledge our own humanity and our own kind of human kind of um, errors and, and, and what we're bring into uh, relationships whether that be kind of uh, useful things or not so useful things you know i, I realize I've, I've had you now for uh, an hour and a half and uh, i've got a billion questions for you but, but I, I think, i'm all right for another yeah. like uh, i i can easily i i'm happy to go to all, uh, like i i you know i'm happy talking chris i'll, I'll let you know if i'm tired. okay right right <laughs> um so yeah i suppose that we were thinking about uh, this this utopian ideal of what what care would look like. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I imagine in the world that you're in, maybe I don't know. After a few beers, you sit there. If only I was in charge, this is how it would be. Do, yeah. do you have those thoughts? Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Absolutely. You know what? Like I, I do, I I do a thought experiment with students sometimes, and like because I think that. We, we have to be so aware of like social constructs that get in the way of human connection. And for me, like whatever we're doing, like so much of anything is just about humans connecting with each other. And I try and get students to like imagine, like, I mean, I guess a contemporary kind of reference would be like the walking dead or something, you know what I mean? So society <laughs> collapses overnight, yes. uh, just a few of us left uh, and we're just getting together. Right. So what are we going to do? We're, we're building everything up again. Um, and and I, I do think that like roles and titles and labels. So like, whether that's like, I'm a mental health nurse and you're a person diagnosed with BPD, yeah. those labels get in the way, uniforms get in the way, structures, systems kind of get in the way. Um, and I, I do think that we have to kind of we have to be mindful of that. Like I don't know I don't know where we would start. Um, to be honest, like I I, I do think it's really really tough. Um, I, I think you know I mean always start with that kind of mentalizing of if we can't be self aware about like what do we look like from yeah, the outside yeah. and how are we influencing stuff, then we can't really be of any use to another person. And it's interesting, actually, that, uh, you know what I mean, like a lot of psychotherapists are encouraged to go to therapy or they have to go yes, to therapy yes. before they're a psychotherapist, but mental health nurses don't. Yeah. Um, and, and I like I feel lucky in a way that I think like I was sort of taking on journeys of self-discovery just through life, you know what I mean? And that I feel like I know myself to a degree and, and yeah, I'm aware of that yeah. when I'm in the room with someone. But I, I don't I can't say the same for maybe 
people that are 17, 18, 19 joining our course and stuff that they, they've got that. Um, and I mean, I, I wrote something uh, last year about self-disclosure, you know what I mean? And like the idea of like how much of ourselves do yeah, we share with yeah. people? And um, for, for me, like the, the reason I wrote that article was because I, I taught students about it all the time. So about like sharing a bit of your own experience and stuff and not not being about you. I think the, yes. the issue is you think you've sharing got something. problems. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're sharing something that always has to be for the benefit of the person that you're working with, it's going to help them make sense of something or it's going to normalize something or whatever. But I always found that students were really scared of it. They were like, no, we just don't do that. Wow. No, no, we're, we're, we're professionals. We don't do that. And so that's I what think, professional means by being yeah, I, distant, distant, closed and aloof. Yeah interesting and and that and that had a real kind of discomfort with that because I, I know i worked with someone a couple of years ago and like always like when you come to an end you know what i mean you try and ask like, like what was what was the most useful thing that yeah. i did you know what i mean like so some of the finest mentalization based <laughs> therapy that, that the world has to offer um, and what was the most useful thing and he was like i think it was just hearing you share some of yourself and that wow. you'd been in some similar experiences and that you'd felt the same so it was that like normalizing effect more than anything yeah, and i think yeah. like i i would i think i would like it so if we're starting from scratch you know what i mean like mental health care it would be to try and remove the distance between us and like i, I love what Ir irvin yalom writes you know what i mean it says that like what you need to think of is like when you're in the room with a person is your fellow travelers you know what I mean? And yeah, like yeah. you're two people that are on this kind of rock that's spinning around the sun and we kind of happen to be here and yeah, we yeah. happen to be on different kind of sides or, you know what I mean? Or like, you know what I mean? It's not even healthy to think about sides. Different roles, yeah. yeah, we happen to have different roles, but ultimately you're a human and I'm a human. And I think like we just need to remember that. And I think there's there's something that can get in the way. I think even our own egos, you know, I mean, when, when oh, I introduce gotcha. myself yeah, as yeah. like a lecturer and a mental health nurse <laughs> and a mentalization based therapist, yeah. I can't say that I don't have a little bit of ego that enjoys yeah. that. Yeah. But I need to try and let that go when I'm in the room with someone because ultimately I'm just a fucking guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean? and, and they're human, you're a human and you're having a conversation. Yeah. And, and genuinely, like I said, I think since carrying that with me like and i think it's got strong i i guess i think it's always been there but maybe what's happened is like i said when i've done that on learning i've just had a bit more confidence in it yeah, you know what i mean yeah. and, like i know the theories but i really believe in this human bit um and i think i think my relationships with people have been better i don't think they were necessarily terrible before but like i think i was maybe i was maybe holding something back yeah, that i yeah. had to offer and that was my humanity yeah and that was some notion of professionalism in there yeah somewhere. yeah that's that's fascinating I, I wanted to ask you before we sort of wind up is um the the whole thing about self-harm uh mm -hmm. and I, I suppose we were talking about risk at the beginning uh, of our conversation on the ward what's your experience of thoughts of self-harm yeah i'll just leave it there what what, what are the the thoughts around yeah, it was, it was an interesting thing. I mean, I think, I mean, certainly understanding self-harm the way that I do now, you know what I mean? You understand it as like, that's a person's solution or it's something that they do to yeah, manage yeah. a degree of emotional intensity or, or whatever, you know what I mean? Like 
people's uh, reasons are always absolutely unique to them. But I think there was always a kind of, it was almost a given that like, no, stop that. You can't do that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Stop, yeah. like, and, and, it's and bad. Then, it's bad. It's, yeah. yeah. And then like, there was a constant kind of state of um, preventing people from doing something that worked for them. Yes. And like, if, if I could describe it as anything, it's just like a, I don't know, like, a, um, so, so, you know, when you're, you're like trying to push like a, imagine a basketball and you're trying to push it underwater. Yes. Yes. I mean, you're, you're trying really hard to stop this, stop this, stop this. Uh, Eventually it's, it's going to erupt and come flying out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that like what, what I saw was like, if we stopped people from doing stuff that did work for them, that it would, it would become potentially more violent. It would potentially yeah, become yeah. more more risky and like hey i i know it's tough it, and um i think it's, it's it's not only tough for nurses but even like imagine someone's family member or like how are you just letting them do that to themselves yeah, like yeah. i think there's and even like the press and stuff like that you know what i mean like there's often that snapshot mentality we're not necessarily understanding all the complexities in there but i found that there was there was always that kind of case of like they they just had to stop it um and an interesting thing that I saw sometimes was like, well, hang on, they weren't, this person maybe wasn't self-harming until they came into hospital. So like, <laughs> what, what, what is actually wrong with our environment that like, this yes, is how a person's managing led to this wh when they are here. Interesting. And it is, it's, it's really, it's, it's complex because, you know, I mean, not only have you got a, a unique human and what they're going through and how they're expressing themselves, but you've got, a system around that uh, and organizations and professional codes and a lot of mess, you know what I mean? I think like, yeah, yeah. like we're saying, all that stuff that gets in between human beings um, and it kind of, it maybe makes us quite reductionist and maybe makes us lack imagination in yes. terms of our responses to it sometimes. Yes, yeah, yeah. Gosh. So <clears throat> I, I think uh, sadly you I could carry on talking to you for another two hours, but um, <laughs> just just winding up, do, do you want people to sort of follow you in the world of social media, or do you want people to sort of have conversations with you? How, how would they how would they do that if if you wanted a a group of people to or folk just to get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, like I like do you know what that that's been that's been probably one of my favourite things since um, can I move into academia. Uh, and writing some stuff and publishing and getting out there a little bit um, is that people have kind of connected with me and yeah, shared experiences yeah, and yeah. just got in touch. And I mean, like, obviously anyone's kind of welcome to sort of follow me on Twitter. I'm just kind of uh, Dan Warrender. Um, no kind of fancy, fancy cool names or no, anything no. like that. Um, and uh, like my, my emails, obviously kind of online in that as well. You know what I mean? Right, I've got a, right. a public kind of RGU profile. I'm kind of happy to do that. And I think, as someone again, Chris, I think that that's, that's made me a better nurse because, because of my, um, I guess my accessibility in, in a way, I've managed to meet people that have got diagnosis of things, but meet them for coffee and yeah, not meet them yeah. in a treatment room or yes. in a ward. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's leveled the playing field in terms of making me more, accessible and stuff and it's really allowed me to 
see the world differently. Yeah. Um, and and I, I genuinely like I, I absorb even this conversation. I like I I absorb any conversation um, like this just like a sponge. You know, Me I mean, too. and then yeah, I like to think like a, any conversation that we have, we're a little bit changed on the other side yes. of it. Yes. Um, so like I, I I totally I like people getting in touch. Um, it, again, it makes me feel like oh I I exist. I, I'm yeah, a, I'm a yeah. human being. I I matter. It can make me v- very busy at times. But like like I say, you know, I mean we're we're here for a short time, and uh, I want to be useful. So um, yeah, and like I say, I think like we're humans, and I think each of us get something from every every interaction that we have. And I'm thinking of like folk that I work with in therapy. Yeah. They, they hopefully get something out of it on the other side, but I always, I always take stuff as well. Sure, I always sure. change. I always benefit from working with people, and I always learn something about myself every time as well. Brilliant. Okay, so hopefully we. Well, I'll, I'll put things. I'll put some. I'll put your Twitter link in, in the the, the podcast description, and people can sort of catch up you. Aye, aye, no, that's absolutely fine. And and the, the stuff that you've been putting up on Twitter, I've got to say, I found it really inspirational. It really sort of drew me in. Yeah, yeah I, and I, I thought, you know, e- even though, yeah, I know you. It's, it was, it, I thought it was really important to sort of, uh, uh, you know, cover these these, uh, I don't know, very often tricky topics, which, yeah, didn't come across as that tricky. Yeah, I think that. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of us live in fear that you know, oh my God, I'm going to have this conversation. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be really challenging. And and I don't know about you, but that that felt really straightforward for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's just it's just being honest, isn't it, and transparent yeah. about like this is, and and like not not putting pressure on ourselves to have all the answers because I think like you know what I mean if if anyone had all the answers, you know what I mean, then like would <laughs> would we even be human? Like, is yeah. there something about being human that is just being a bit confused yes, all of the yes. time, puzzled, constantly, constantly yeah. inquiring? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, I'm going to wind up there, but uh, thanks ever so much for, for agreeing to talk to me. That's been, it's been brilliant. Okay, yeah, cheers. it's been an absolute, absolute pleasure, Chris. Thank you very much. Okay, cheers. You can probably tell I love talking to Dan. We could have kept on going for, well, hours. I'm going to put uh, links to some of his work along with his Twitter handle in the, the blurb below. Thanks so much for listening. As ever, please let me know your thoughts on the show. Leave a review subscribe to the series, share it about the place, to leave me with a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. If you or anyone you know would like to share their story, please get in touch. You'll find all my contact details below too. Until the next time, walk a mile.